Oh, here we go. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, this week's Parsha is Parsha's Chukas. Can everyone say Chukas? Chukas. Yeah, that's right. Zos Chukas Hatora. This Parsha is about the Chok, the irrational law of the Torah. And the quintessential irrational law of the Torah. Some laws make sense and some don't. And this is the quintessential one that the Torah says, this is the irrational law of the Torah. Do you know what it is? The law of the red, the law of the red heifer, para aduma. What's the law of the red heifer? That there's something in Judaism called tuma. Tuma means spiritual impurity. And we get tuma. We become spiritually impure from engaging in certain behaviors, activities, touching certain things that are deemed impure. And there's a bunch of things that make one impure. Um, touching dead animals, touching certain bodily discharges, discharging certain bodily fluids, um, giving birth to a baby. Um, and the number one source of impurity. Doesn't anyone know what the big daddy of impurity is? It's called the Avi Av of Tuma. The father of the father of impurity is a dead body, a corpse. Corpse. Dead body is the greatest source of impurity. So what is the big deal? What's the idea of impurity? And what's this red cow all about? that somehow by taking the ashes, a mixture of the ashes of the red cow that's mixed with water, the, the cow, a red cow, a totally red cow is burned, and its ashes are mixed with water and different ingredients, and it's sprinkled on a person, and they become ritually pure again. What is going on with that? I don't know. And any answer I give you is not going to be the real answer because the Torah tells us this is the irrational law of the Torah. That means it's not rational no matter how much we try to understand it. But I'll try to share with you some sort of insight into the idea of the red heifer, the para aduma. And as we continue on in the Parsha, I'll just throw out some of the ideas. We learn about corpse tuma, the impurity of a dead body. Um, we learn about the passing away of Miriam. And Miriam passes away and there is a water crisis. No more water. No more Miriam, no more water. Because of Miriam, through her spiritual merit, the Jews were um, merited in the desert this magical well of water that accompanied them. And as soon as she died, the well dried up. So what's the connection between Miriam and water? And again, there's a connection to water. And afterwards, we have, bear with me as we cross through the Parsha, the passing away of Aaron. The Kohen, Aaron passes away. And in Aaron's merit, there was something called the clouds of glory, which surrounded the, the encampment in the desert. And those disappeared as well. So we're like, Everything's falling apart now. And then we get attacked by a Malik. And 
uh, the Jewish people will survive. And then the Jewish people are attacked again by snakes, fiery serpents. And Hashem tells, and, and the people are getting bit by the snakes. And Moshe says, what should I do? And Hashem says, make an image of a snake made out of copper and put it on a pole. And when anyone gets bit by the snake, they should look at the copper snake on the pole. By the way, you guys know what the symbol is of the snake and the staff? On what famous emblem do you find the snake and the staff? Medical. Red, the, on the, the red, blue shield, blue cross, whatever, there's a snake and a staff. So there's different uh, Greek references to that as well in medicine. But uh, certainly the Greeks, I don't know. But the Jews, certainly. The oldest reference to it is here in the Torah. And of course, the symbolism of medicine somehow is that there's this connection to healing by looking at this snake on a staff. But what is the connection between the snake and the staff? Why is that going to heal someone looking at a picture of a snake on a staff? And then um, there's a song that the Jewish people sing to Miriam's well. And okay, that's basically the Parsha in a nutshell. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Should we learn about the idea of purity and impurity, life and death? Let's try to understand it. What is the idea of impurity? Why is there impurity that's associated with death? Anyone want to offer any possible explanations of this impurity? Okay, so um, maybe something like that. I know the thing you're talking about, but that's not really related to this idea. It's a different type of, that's a different type of impurity. There is something called saras, which is like a skin condition, which requires you to be quarantined. But this is not the same thing. When a person becomes tame from coming in contact with dead bodies, they don't have to quarantine. But they do become impure for seven days. So... Well, well, animals it convey um, impurity, animal uh, like rodents, dead rodents, and uh, and maybe even live rodents actually, and um, uh, a dead uh, um, other types of things. It's not just, but a human body is the greatest level of impurity. That that impurifies even if you don't touch it. If it's just in the room, it impurifies. Yeah. Before burying. Yes. So so a person actually you could become impure if you're if you're engaged in that process of, of dealing with preparing the body for burial. So yeah, so that is a real thing. And in fact, uh, in the desert we know that there were certain Jews who were impure from from carrying the coffin of, of Yosef in the desert, that they actually missed out on Passover because they were impure from, from the body of Yosef or from dealing with the body of Aaron's sons who died. So it's a, it's, it is a real thing. So I think that the, the concept is about impurity 
for the most part, not in all cases, doesn't explain all things, but in general, nature abhors a vacuum. That's a rule in physics, that nature abhors a vacuum. Whenever you have something empty in the world of nature, it gets filled with something else besides a black hole. But a black hole actually sucks everything in because nature abhors a vacuum. So what does that mean? It means that when there is life, there is something that is filling the physical. When life leaves, the physical becomes empty. That's why um, we find impurity related to the pro pro procreation process culminating in birth. After, when a woman gives birth to a boy, she's impure for seven days. When she gives birth to a girl, she's impure for 14 days. Why is she more impure from a girl than from a boy? That's interesting. <laughs> That's interesting. That's a good point, actually, that on the eighth day, now she becomes pure and she can enjoy, engage in the, uh, in the bris ceremony. But in general, the rule is, again, that the idea of, of impurity is when you have life force that leaves, it becomes a vacuum. And that vacuum gets filled with an impure spirit. So when a boy is born, the woman, when she was pregnant, she it had within her a life. And now that life is gone, there's emptiness within her, it gets filled with something called impurity. But when she has a girl within her, she has double life potential inside her. And therefore she is doubly impure. So, um, so that's the idea of impurity. So why is a dead body the ultimate level of impurity? What, what's the definition of death? Soul leaves the body. When the soul leaves the body, and what do we see? What's left behind? When we come face to face with death, why are we sad when someone dies? What's the pain? What is the pain? That's true. Oh. So so the pain the pain for us when someone dies is that we feel like we've lost the person. And we've lost a part of the person. The person's not here with us in this world. But the person is not dead. Because life never dies. We don't believe in life after death. We believe in life after life. The part of you that is alive stays alive. The part of you that's dead stays dead. What does that mean? That we're made up of two parts, a body and a soul. 
The soul was the part of you that was alive. What gives life to a bunch of cells? It's the soul that ties it all together. As soon as the soul leaves, the body begins to disintegrate. The definition of death is separation of body and soul. So the sadness when someone dies is because we identify, we over-identify with the body. We think I am my body. The reality is, is that we're something much deeper. We're the soul. We're a soul that has a body, that lives in a body, that wears a body. Our body is our garment. It enables us to do stuff in this world. But it's not our identity. It's not our primary identity. It's part of our identity. Right? So, so death, the reason death causes impurity is because we see it as if the person died. And that's an illusion. It's not true. The impurity is that it's a disconnection from who the person really is. We think they're dead. It causes a tremendous sadness and depression and mourning and all that's a natural experience of having lost someone. But the reality is it's not true. The person didn't really die. The Talmud says, actually in talking about the death of Aaron and Miriam, that when a righteous person dies, their soul and their body have a very easy departure. The Talmud says it's like removing a hair from milk. But when a person who didn't live spiritually dies, it's like ripping a thorn out of wool. The soul is so enmeshed in the body, so interconnected with the body, so over-identifies with the body that it can't leave the body. And in fact, this is one of the punishments after death for engaging in the pleasures of this world for an end in themselves. And that's that the soul has to watch the body decompose. Because the soul who's engaged in physical pleasure as the mean and as a means to it's in, in, in and of itself that believes that the purpose of life is just to enjoy this world physically without any connection to spirituality so when that soul dies it wants to come back and enjoy physical pleasure so what does it do it hovers around the body it doesn't go up to the higher spiritual realms it stays at the graveside for an entire year and as it watches the body disintegrate it experiences the pain of its identity being destroyed. Right? That's the ultimate punishment. So, so the fact is that aging, a person who is engaged in spirituality, I was talking to someone, one of my friends in Israel, and I'm like, you know, it's really hard having a white beard, isn't it? He's like, what do you mean? What do I care? I'm like, listen, I live in America, you live in Israel. In, in Israel, the goal is spirituality. You're surrounded by people who are engaged in Torah learning, and age is wisdom. There's nothing wrong with having white beard. See, I live in America where the goal is physicality. In physicality, age equals death. So no one wants to look old. Right? It depends on what your goals are. They say that wisdom and wine are the only two things that get better as you get older. Everything else gets worse. Yeah. Okay. Very good. You're learning a lot. So, 
staying on target, on topic. Um, the comparison that Talmud says of uh, the death of a righteous person being like removing hair from milk is very puzzling because hair is typically a symbolism in Torah for the body. Asaph was very hairy. He was very physical. Hair is associated with parts of the body that have an influence on the world. Men are more hairy than women because they're more engaged in physicality. So why is the Talmud saying that the righteous person's soul leaving the body is like removing a hair from milk? In fact, hair is associated with the Yetzir Hara, with the force of negativity within us. It says that when, when righteous people get to the next world, they're going to cry. And when, when wicked people get to the next world, they're going to cry. Why are they going to cry? It says because righteous people are going to see their Yetzir Hara, their their evil inclination, and it's going to look like a mountain. And they're going to say, how in the world did I ever overcome this? And wicked people are going to see their evil inclination, and it's going to look like a little hair. And they're going to cry, how could I not have overcome this? It's so small. And yet, this, this struggle is all about, it's all about the struggle, right? The If they had just tried, they would have been able to overcome. So the hair is associated with negativity. So I believe the message of this Talmudic teaching is is actually quite the opposite. We think that the metaphor is what the hair is the soul, and it's like removing the soul from milk. Milk is the body, but milk is white. Milk represents life. Milk is actually the soul. And the hair is this tiny little strand of physicality. That a righteous person who spent their life purifying their body Till the, so that at the end of their life, their body is just this tiny little hair. Their soul is this massive expansiveness of milk, of white purity that surrounds their body. The body becomes minuscule. They had no identification with the body. And, and several sources say that the soul, the bodies of righteous people, of Siddiquim, don't become impure when they pass away. Why not? Because we become impure because of our over-identification with our body. When we leave, there's a vacuum left in the body. But a righteous person who doesn't over-identify with their body, when they recognize that their body is just a tool, a means to an end, and they spend their life purifying their body, uplifting their body, making their body spiritual, when they die, their body is not a vacuum. Their body actually became righteous, holy. Their body became spiritual. They transformed the body into milk. And that's the uh, perhaps the reason why we pray at the graves of a righteous person. Because the place itself becomes holy. Because that's a place where spirituality came into physicality. So the definition of death is separation of body and soul. Impurity is, comes from over-identification with the body. With the vacuum that fills the emptiness when life force leaves. What's the definition of life? Not just the soul. Definition of life is the coming together of body and soul. Life is defined by body and soul coming together. Growth, connection, unity. The purpose of life is to bring together body and soul. That's the, the mission of Judaism, is to bring physicality spirituality into physicality 
So how does this red cow purify from us from the impurity of death? So perhaps we can say that the the cow represents the most this physical being, right? On top of that, the, the Ramban explains that the cow is red. Red is associated with the forces of Gevura, of, of negativity in this world, of judgment. That's the idea of red. Red is a color of strength and physicality. Meat is red, right? Most, I mean, I guess there's red, white meat also, but meat is red. The idea of not eating milk and meat. What's the symbolism of not eating milk and meat? So I believe the Ramban says that milk represents life, right? Milk is the quintessential food given to, to babies. It's pure white and it represents chesed, kindness. Meat represents death, represents red. It's the color of, of judgment in Judaism. And the coming together of life and death is it to put milk on meat is 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 insensitive it's insensitive but when a person dies so we take this red animal that represents the physical represents the forces of judgment and we burn it up with fire and the fire represents the soul the fire of the soul bringing consuming the body Elevating the body, right? We talked about when we take animal sacrifices, the, the symbolism of the carbonos, the animal sacrifices that were brought in the temples. You take an animal, a giant physical beast, and you put it in fire and it is elevated up. The symbolism is literally our job in this world is to elevate the physical. That's the whole symbolism of animal sacrifices. So we take this physical animal, we elevate it through the fire of the soul, and then we mix it with what's called Mayim Chayim, living water, living water, water of life, water which represents, again, kindness, same as milk, mikvah is purification, water which has the ability to give life, to bring together, to bind things together. Water has that quality, right? Water brings things together. And along with certain things that they put into it, cedar wood, um, a certain type of plant, and some some red wool, and maybe some sort of red symbolism there. And you burn it all together, and then you, you sprinkle it on the person. Perhaps the message is to remember that the goal of this world is not that you're a body walking around and that we lost a body and that's the sadness of death. No, it's that the goal of life is to lift up the body, is to connect the body to with the water. Water, the Torah is compared to water. The Talmud says, Aim mayim Torah. The true water is Torah because Torah descends from the highest place into the lowest place, just like water is constantly descending down. Full of water is to bring life, to connect physicality and spirituality, just like water brings life to the world. So perhaps that's the symbolism of the red cow. And again, 
it's an, a super rational mitzvah. It's a mitzvah that doesn't make sense. So we, anything we're saying is just poetry. We're just trying to understand something which the Torah itself tells us is unknowable, not understandable. It says that King Solomon understood every mitzvah, and this was one that he didn't understand. But for our, on our level, perhaps that's the message. Now, and Miriam, through Miriam came this special, this special blessing of water in the desert. Why? Because Miriam's whole thing was bringing life into this world. Miriam was a midwife. Miriam gave advice to her father in Egypt uh, when Paro decreed that there should know that all the boys should be thrown into the river. So immediately all the men divorced their wives. They said, why should we give birth to children if, if it's going to lead to death? So Miriam came to her father. And she said, you're worse than Paro. Paro just wanted to kill the boys, but you're now killing even, you're, you're even ensuring that girls won't be born as well. So he said, good, good point, my daughter. And he went back and married his wife and gave birth to Moshe. It's through Miriam that, that Moshe was then brought in the river and Miriam brought Moshe to, to the daughter of Paro who raised Moshe. Miriam was uh, very much involved in the splitting of the sea. She sang with the women after the splitting of the sea. And Miriam was very upset a few weeks ago in the partial when Moshe separated from his wife. And Miriam is a life bringer. She, she, her whole essence is bringing babies into this world, bringing life into this world. That's why she was so offended that Moshe separated from his wife. Miriam was also a prophetess. So she represents water. Just one second. She represents water. The coming and water again, which represents life. And Aaron passed away. Aaron represents uh, this bringing down of spirituality into this world, which is the 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 job of the Cohen is to lift up. Sorry, to lift up. Water is the bringing down of spirituality of Torah into this world. That's Miriam. Aaron's job is to lift up, to take the cow and offer it up in smoke, which is associated with these clouds. Which clouds, by the way, where do clouds come from? Evaporation of water going back up and then it creates a cycle. So these represents the two sides of, of that coin, that unity. And finally, um, there is this attack of these snakes. And Hashem tells Moshe to put an image of a snake on a staff. And whenever anyone looks at the snake on the staff, they'll be healed. So... Uh, the Talmud says, do you really think the snake had the power to heal? Looking at a metal snake on a staff? No. How do we say staff in this verse in the Torah? It says, place an image of a snake, al-hanes. What's a nace? A nace is a flag or a staff, but it also means a miracle. It means a miracle. So the Talmud says, the snake had no power to heal. Rather, when the Jewish people's eyes were looking up, the snake was supposed to remind people to look up to Hashem. Remember that all healing is a miracle, is miraculous. When we look up to Hashem, then we are healed. So it's interesting, this became a symbol of medicine. because It's really the opposite idea. It's saying that although we have to do our work in this world, we have to try to heal ourselves using medicine. We have to remember that Hashem is the Rofe Kol Basar. Hashem is the true healer. And we have to never forget that that's where the source of all healing comes from. So what does that have to do with this idea? So healing is, is literally 
when a person's sick, their body and their soul are disconnected. There's a disunity there. There's a disharmony there. And healing is bringing back unity to the to the body. And true healing comes about through bringing the soul back in to the body so that the two can live together in peace. And that's really the idea of marriage. Marriage is the coming together of body and soul, husband and wife, which represent very different aspects of spirituality. The coming together of husband and wife is the greatest revelation of unity and oneness that can exist in this world when opposites come together as one body and soul and the greatest miracle you know there's a blessing we say when we go to the bathroom all right after the bathroom outside the bathroom after you wash your hands and the bracha is called a share yatzer it's a very very important bracha and probably the most incredible meditation because we take it for granted we go to the bathroom a bunch of times every day how often do you think thank god my body works and the end of the bracha is bracha Hashem, rofei kol basar, Hashem heals all, all flesh, umafli sos, and acts wondrously. So the Ramah, the, the Shulchan Aruch, the code of Jewish law, says, Moshe Israelis says, what does it mean that Hashem acts wondrously? What do we mean in that bracha? He says it means that Hashem takes a soul, and puts it into a body, and that the two live together in harmony, that is the greatest miracle, because they have nothing in common. The fact that body and soul can live together in one is something for us to give thanks for. So we should all be blessed to uh, connect our body and soul, connect to who we really are, our true identity as a soul, and to elevate the body, to lift up the body, to learn to use the body for what it's really here for, which is to enable us to engage in bringing spirituality into physicality. You can't do that without a body. A body is the most important ingredient. And that's why we believe in something called the revival of the dead, that the ultimate reward in the next world is going to be both bodies and souls together again. Because the body is what enabled us to grow close to Hashem. Without a body, we wouldn't have the ability to grow in spirituality. Wouldn't have the ability to reveal Hashem through the word. We need a body. Our body is not our enemy. Our body is our friend, our greatest friend. And it's our greatest tool in, in revealing spirituality in this world. So therefore, the reward in the next world is going to be both bodies and souls together in a physical world that has reached completion in completely revealing, not hiding, but revealing the spiritual, which is the soul of the, of the world. Thank you guys for listening. And now, question. 